we in our church have begun to sort of mimic the very thing that we're doing right here in this prayer meeting of of really turning and and our I would like to say our prayer meeting has grown. It has numerically throughout our church, but I think even more refreshing is that the majority of our time that we spend together in our prayer meeting is praying. And just to hear people pray is encouraging. And so I I just want to say here at the beginning how thankful I am for uh, this joint resolution on uh, united prayer and and just say that it's been having an effect beyond just this group of people, I believe. And I want to share with you uh, just some thoughts from Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is what I'm looking at. One of the things that we do when we gather on Wednesday nights in our church is we've just been going through the Psalms. We pick one Psalm, I usually read the whole psalm, and then I ask for some input. What are the things that you noticed as I read? What are some key thoughts, key ideas? And then we talk about that and uh, usually spend a few minutes talking through those, and then, and then we, we pray. And I want to share with you just a few. I, I can't go through the entire psalm and do a full sermon on, on the entire psalm, um, but I do want to point out a couple important thoughts, I believe. Psalm 34 Uh, a psalm of David, and and he writes this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That is an expression of the Christian's heart, the Christian's disposition toward God. I love how David commonly starts a psalm this way, with this general call to praise, but then he explains why he says that. Why is the Christian enabled to bless the Lord at all times? Why do we praise him? Why do we boast and magnify the Lord? Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. As I worked through those verses, I noticed this this back and forth between two phrases, seek the Lord and fear the Lord. And I started to think about what is the connection between those? It seems that he's going back and forth between both of those concepts. And I started to think about what is the fear of the Lord? Proverbs 1 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, So fearing the Lord is a basic aspect of what a, a Christian thinks and how a Christian responds to the Lord. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? When we use the word fear... We often think of being afraid of something, something that is terrifying, and certainly that is a part of what the fear of the Lord is, but then how does fearing the Lord relate to seeking the Lord? And I started to think about the fear that a child has 
for his parents. When a parent has to discipline his child, when a, when a child is experiencing the grief and the heartache of being disciplined, where does that child, typically, especially a young child, where does that child find refuge and comfort in response to all of that discipline? It's often in the arms of the same parent who disciplined that child. In that sense, there's a fear, but that fear does not drive that child away from the parent. It actually drives the child toward the parent, to seek the parent. I've been thinking about that the last several weeks as it just what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is not something that drives us away from him, but drives us to him, to seek the Lord. And the psalmist explains here why it is good to seek the Lord and what it means to seek the Lord. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's a comparative term, I think. The Lord is good in comparison to everything else. He is a God who is worth seeking. And those who seek him receive the good that he has to offer. Think again of the illustration of a child and a parent. What does it mean for a child to fear his parents and to seek his parents? What is he after? He's after seeking their pleasure, their approval, their affirmation. This is what it means to seek the Lord. This is what it means to seek the Lord in the fear of the Lord. And so in verse 11, the psalmist goes on, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? It's, it's a, a reference to all things that are good that the Lord offers to his people. And then he contrasts that in verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What does the fear of the Lord look like? What does it look like to seek the Lord in the fear of the Lord? It means to love what he loves and to hate what he hates, to run toward what we know pleases him, to run from what we know displeases him. But when we think about who this is talking about, sinful mankind seeking after the pleasure and the approval of a holy God in heaven, who can bridge that gap? How in the world can we be so bold as to seek the Lord? Well, we not only find an invitation to seek the Lord, but we find the power to seek the Lord. It's all a gift from him. He goes on in verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Here he turns the perspective around. Not only are we called and invited to seek him, but we are empowered to seek him because he is seeking after us. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears toward their cry. This has the idea of God inclining himself toward us. Verse 16, we know that the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, but how, how does he look toward the righteous? He looks toward the righteous by providing salvation through Jesus Christ. How is it that a sinful man can receive the favorable glance of the Lord? 
It is not because we are righteous in ourselves. It is because God has provided a righteousness for us in Christ. So what is the difference between those, between the righteous and those who do evil? The difference is that God has inclined toward the righteous. He has made us righteous in Christ. So that when the righteous cry for help, he says, the Lord hears. He delivers out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Matthew chapter 5 talks about the poor in spirit. And it is to them that the blessing of God and the kingdom of God belongs. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. There's, there's an interesting reference right there, uh, speaking as it looks ahead to the Lord Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. Not one of his bones is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is a beautiful passage that tells us not only is it possible for us to receive the righteous favor of God, not only is it possible for us to seek him, but we are invited to seek him. We are called to seek him. And we are given the assurance that those who seek him will never face condemnation, will never be put to shame. Why? Because seeking the Lord works. Seeking the Lord is effective. The word of God proves true. Prayer is effective. And it's all because Christ is at the center of it all and he is trustworthy. Today is Good Friday the day that we typically commemorate the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in our place. What a privilege it is to know that through that death, the veil has been torn in two. We have been given access to Almighty God himself. So when we pray, when we pray for revival, we are praying for a renewal of God's people to seek the Lord. That may or may not always look like something big and spectacular that makes the headlines. But it does look like the people of God seeking the Lord, seeking his favor, seeking his deliverance, loving what he loves, hating what he hates, and returning to a a viewpoint of life that has God at the center, the center of our activity, the center of our desire, the center of our love, and the center of our worship. All of that is what we do in a meeting like this when we gather together and pray. And this is what we are praying for. Lord, awaken your people. Lord, bring us again to seek your face. And as we seek your face, help us to see that you are good and that you are a trustworthy refuge for your people. And may we find our refuge in him. And may many others find our refuge in him.